There are these quotes that just show up all over the place through history. And they're the kind of quotes that like, you didn't ever memorize them, but you know them. They're just in there. I don't know if you picked them up in elementary school. You just saw them in a documentary. Uh, but they're just these big quotes. Like, and, and the quotes kind of are like the most important thing that person said. Or it's kind of like a summary of their whole life and works. For example, Neil Armstrong, first man to walk on the moon. He gets out of the big thing and he says, that's one small step for man. What? One giant leap for mankind. You know that. It's just in there. And it tells you something about it. This is Neil Armstrong, and he walked on the moon. If you don't know that and you're younger, just this on YouTube. There was a guy who walked on the moon. It was a big deal. Uh, here's a couple more. Let's play a little game. Let's just see if you know some of these. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, okay, he was doing a big speech, and he said it was four score and seven years ago. It was a Gettysburg Address, like a big, big, big moment in history on these hallowed grounds. And he talks about the blood that was shed there. Uh, Martin Luther King is a connection there to Abraham Lincoln. He's standing on the steps of the Lincoln Monument. He gives maybe his most well-known phrase. And he said he had a, a dream, right? And he's a big part of the civil rights movement and particularly like the peaceful protest part of that. And I mean, the Martin Luther King impact on this world. And that one little snippet, that soundbite, summarizes like everything that he was all about. Here's a couple more, a couple presidents. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, in the horrors of World War II, he said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. You guys are good at this. John F. Kennedy, in his inaugural address, he says, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Why do we know this? It's just in there. It's in there. Most of you aren't like history buffs and you just, you just know it. And these kind of quotes, they kind of like live beyond the person and they infuse itself into our culture and they kind of become these mantras that we live by. Our families have these quotes. You probably have this thing like, you know, granddaddy used to always say, use the back end of the spoon to open the can of peaches. Like, you know, he's got you know, some brilliant phrase that your granddad said, and you're going to pass that down, because that's, that's family wisdom, right? And so we have these phrases, maybe one day you'll be lucky enough, somebody will quote you, maybe someone will quote me, and it could live on forever. But I wonder, if you were to look at all of the repertoire of the things Jesus said, what would be that phrase for him? That he said, or that scripture says about Jesus, what would it be? Think about it. Do anything come to your mind? Maybe if you've studied the Bible a little bit, you've memorized some scripture. Maybe there's some in there, some rise to the top. This week we're continuing our series from paper to person. And uh, we're going to take one last look at the life of Jesus. And we're going to look at this phrase that I believe, that arguably, is the quintessential boiling down of the whole purpose of Jesus may be better than any other passage in scripture, any other thing that anybody ever said, and it might be the most well-known scripture in all of the Bible. And it's what we're going to look at today. What do you think it is? I'm not going to tell you yet, but we're going to get there. We're going to look at what might be the most read chapter of the Bible, John chapter 3. And so if you've got a Bible today, grab it. John chapter 3. And we're going to be, uh, let me tell you a little bit about John, the book of John. Uh, if you need a Bible, by the way, we've got Bibles at the shelf back here by the door. You can always go grab one. If you don't have a good readable version of the Bible of your own, we give them away. They're free. If you just need to borrow one, just borrow it and put it back. So, or look it up on your phone, it'll be behind me. John, uh, he was one of the, the first disciples of Jesus. He becomes an apostle. He's a leader of the early church. And he is 
famous for many reasons, but also for writing five of the books in our Bible. So we're looking at the Gospel of John today. This is his telling of the life of Jesus, his biography of Jesus. He wrote books that are called 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. These are letters that were written. And then he also wrote the book of Revelation, which is a really, uh, a really cool look at a glimpse he got at, at heaven. Uh, he also had a really high view of his relationship with Jesus, and I think rightfully so. He called himself in the Gospel of John the one that Jesus loved. And so he was very close. He was in Jesus' closest inner circle. That's the book of John. And he writes what might be the most well-known and most pivotal and instructive phrase that we're going to get into today. And it lands in John chapter 3. But to get there, I want to look at the context of that. Where did it come from and what story was happening? Okay, so John chapter 3, starting at verse 1. We're going to meet a guy named Nicodemus. Can I pause real quick and ask you, have you watched the TV show The Chosen? Okay, because if you watch it, you're like, yes, you need to watch it. And if you haven't watched it, you're like, I know, everybody tells me I need to watch it. Uh, I was, we, were late, we were late adapters. We were just getting into it. We're trying to marinate through it. I don't want to rush. I've binged TV shows before and then been like, oh, it's over. There were only eight episodes or whatever. Uh, the Chosen is a really well-made TV show about the life of Jesus. And so and it's free. There's a couple ways to watch it. You're smart. You can use the internet and find it. But uh, Nicodemus is a really pivotal and cool character. And the way they develop him is really neat. And I, and I think very biblically and historically accurate. So if you care about my opinion, there's that. But we meet this guy, Nicodemus, in John chapter 3. Nicodemus was well-respected. Nicodemus, um, he was probably the smartest person in any room he ever sat in. <laughs> he was a really well-educated, well-respected guy. He was part of the ruling council of the Jewish leadership. They were like a, a theocratic government internally the Romans had taken over but inside they were like ruled by their religious leaders and so when you hear all these things about the religious leaders it's because they were the law and Nicodemus was one of the Sanhedrin which is kind of like the supreme court of the Jewish system so I mean he's like really well respected really authoritative and powerful and uh, he was also a Pharisee so that was kind of his uh, political affiliation, if you will. That's kind of how they broke down the more conservative party, and they were known for being very legalistic about how they viewed the Old Testament law. Jesus had done some miracles. He'd gained a following. He was doing these sermons all over the place, and people like Nicodemus were taking notice because these whispers began to develop that said, man, this guy is something else. He might be more than just a teacher. He might be the chosen Messiah that our scriptures have talked about, and the Pharisees were not about that. But Nicodemus is leaning in. And he wanted to learn more. He was fascinated by Jesus. Because there was something so real about Jesus. We're doing this series that's called From Paper to Person. And the whole idea is like you can open your Bibles and it's on paper. But there's something that happens when stuff jumps off the page at you. You know what I mean? And it becomes real. And I feel like Nicodemus, this story might be one of the most like, mm, like good analogies of that. Because if anybody knew the paper, it was Nicodemus. He had, you don't know anybody who has memorized more scripture than Nicodemus. This guy knows what's on the paper. But it was what he was seeing with his eyes that blew his mind. So he's got to meet Jesus. John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, and he was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night, and he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God. For no one could perform the signs that you were doing if it were not for him. So when Jesus steps into the public sphere at the age of about 30, 
uh, he, he's, he becomes a, a rabbi, a rabbi is just a teacher. And these were nothing new. There were rabbis all over the place. And just like you have schools on every corner or in every neighborhood, there's schools. This is one of the main ways people got educated in this culture. And there were rabbis. And there were, there was good rabbis, there's bad rabbis, just like there's good teachers and bad teachers. Some were have more influence than others. And they would collect a group of students and they would ask this group of students, hey, like, come and live with me and learn from me and I will show you my ways. That was the rabbi's way. And then the really good ones would actually sometimes lecture. And so they would go from place to place, and they might set up a place to do a speech. And then a bunch of people would come, and maybe you, you already followed this rabbi over here, but I want to go hear what that rabbi said. There was a guy who came to town recently, uh, Marty Solomon, and he's someone that a lot of us follow on a podcast. And uh, it, it was that way with him. You know, we, a lot of us were there. I think it was about 30 of us there, so I know a lot of you were there. And we were, went to a coffee house downtown. We're like, we want to hear what this guy has to say. We listen to Chris all the time, but man, we got to go listen to this guy has to say. So that's kind of the thing that's going. But Jesus stands out above all other rabbis for two reasons, maybe a lot of reasons, but two that immediately come to mind. One was the authority with which he spoke. And people were like blown away. He would do these things. He would look at someone and say, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. Who does that? I don't do that. I mean, I, I say, hey, talk to God about it. Let's talk to Jesus. But I'm not gonna be like, I forgive your sins. It's not in my purview to do that. He does that, and also the way he handled scripture was incredible. And people are like, man, this guy knows his stuff. That was the one way that he stood out, and he really rose above. It's like when people first noticed Tiger Woods playing golf, or when, when like Patrick Mahomes finally got to start in the NFL, and everyone is just like, this guy is playing on a different level. That's where Jesus steps in, and people are just seeing he's really above and beyond so much. The second reason that Jesus really stands out is the miracles. <laughs> Okay, because he's like, he's healing people. He's casting out demons, which is like a flick of a wrist, basically, whereas people are like battling to get through demon possession, and Jesus has all this authority over, you know, spiritual realms. He defies physics. He does things. You're like, what are you, that was water, and now it's wine. Like, what, what did you do? Like, what you, he just does these things. Miracles, and Jesus says the reason that he's performing the miracles was to say, I'm doing these signs and wonders, not because you need to be entertained, but because I want to grant authority to the other words that I say. And so there's this one situation where he tells this guy his sins are forgiven. And the people are like, how can you forgive sins? He goes, okay, right, anyone could say that. But who could say to this man who's paralyzed, get up and walk? But so that you will believe that I can forgive sins, get up and walk. Dude gets up and walks. And everybody's like. So he's amassing this crowd. They want to see it. Some are there for the, the, you know, the, the show, the pony show, and some are there because they really believe he's something spiritual. But it gets the attention of people like Nicodemus. Many people question how he did the miracles. Nobody questioned that he did the miracles. The dude's walking. The guy was blind. Now he's seen. We're drinking wine. That was, there was no wine. Like People are seeing the miracles are real. Now, Nicodemus' friends saw these things as a threat. I told you he was a Pharisee, and you, if you read through the Gospels, the biographies of Jesus, you'll see the Pharisees were at odds with Jesus a lot, and so they didn't like the idea that they didn't understand what he was doing. They were pretty combative against Jesus. One thing that they would often do is try to trap Jesus, so they'd get him in a setting, and they'll be like, all right, we got this great question that's just going to trap this great teacher, and they'd ask him a question, some tricky question, and they're, they, they were hoping to kind of catch him in a lie or catch him in... And in something he didn't understand. And what I love is he does this amazing, he doesn't do any kind of fancy acrobatics. 
he looks them dead in the eyes and he answers their questions and he blows their minds. And he makes them think about things they'd never thought about before. And so that's what all the other Pharisees are doing. But Nicodemus is like, there's something to this guy. I got to meet him. So we just read, he came to Jesus at night. Nicodemus could have scheduled a meeting with Jesus anytime he wanted to. He was one of the most authoritative people in all of Israel, okay? But he comes in and he says, I, I don't want to meet you in a public square. I don't want to debate you at a synagogue. I want to meet you across a cup of coffee and I want to talk. Because I think there might be something to what you're doing here. I love Mr. Nicodemus's humble attitude. So he says, I already read this, uh, I think it was verse 2 or something. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. For no one can perform the signs that you're doing if God was not with him. So Nicodemus kind of believes, but he's not sure what he believes. And Jesus replies in verse 3, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Kingdom of God. This is like Jesus' main subject. Like if you were going to go to a Leonard Skinner concert, they better play Freebird right? It's the, it's the greatest hits, okay? If, if you're going to go to Carolina Beach and go to Brit's Donuts, you do not want to try their new kale salad. That's not why you went. You went for the delicious hot donut straight out of the oil, right? And when you go to hear Jesus preach, you hope he talks about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God interchangeably, same phrase. That's what you came to hear about. That's what he talks about. He's constantly walking around. He's like, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like these people planting seeds in a field. The kingdom of heaven is like those birds in a tree. The kingdom of heaven is like a mother or a father. Or the kingdom of heaven is like this treasure that was lost in a field and this person sold everything they had to go find it. Like, and, and so like, they're trying to understand, okay, he's and he says this phrase, repent, turn back to God, because the kingdom of heaven is here. And so you know Nicodemus is just like, oh, yes, I knew he was going to start with kingdom of heaven. I knew it. I hope he did. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. And Nicodemus is just a little bit thrown off by this statement. You ever been talking to somebody, and you thought you were tracking with them, and then they just said something, and you're like, I don't think we're talking about the same thing anymore. Huh? He said, you must be born again. And so Nicodemus has this, this, really, uh, this really funny phrase. He says, uh, how can someone be born again if they're already old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. I appreciate the awkwardness of that phrase. I mean, at best, that would be uncomfortable for everybody, right? And so Nic I think Nicodemus knew that Jesus was going somewhere with that. I don't think Nicodemus thought he really meant be born again. I think Nicodemus is like, okay, do tell. What do you mean be born again? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at me saying this, that you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Okay, so that's a lot there, and we can unpack a little bit of it in the time we have. Often when, we, when Jesus is trying to make sure his students understand what he's like all about, and the Apostle Paul does this too later in his, in his letters, 
they say, I'm going to make this really simple for you, okay? Let me make this really simple. And this is like a, a dichotomy he often goes into. Jesus is like, okay, let me, let me break this down for you. There's earthly stuff and there's heavenly stuff. I'm not here for that. I'm here for the heavenly stuff, okay? You follow me? Or he says, listen, there's, there's physical stuff and there's spiritual stuff. I'm not here for all that. I'm here for the spiritual stuff. There are things that our body has needs and our soul has needs. I'm here for your soul. The kingdom of heaven is not a kingdom of bodies. The kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of souls. And so he kind of does this thing with Nicodemus. He's like, you know how puppies are born from dogs and kitties are born from cats. Flesh is born of the flesh, but spiritual things must be born of the spirit. And there's a lot more that could be said about this passage, but I, I want to kind of land on this idea of being born again. I feel like Jesus is saying, you know, I, there's a lot of talk about governments and kingdoms. I mean, many of the people who began to hear about Jesus and thought he might be the Messiah, they thought he was going to be there as a political leader, a governor of some kind, a, a conquest kind of guy, a king at the best. They wanted him to be king. And Jesus is like, man, the kingdoms that you're thinking about, man, this is nothing like what I'm thinking about. Those are physical things. Those are earthly things. I'm talking about a heavenly kingdom. I'm not here to make you rich. I'm not here to make you powerful. I'm not here to make you well-respected and famous. As much as I love you and hate it when you get sick, I'm actually not here to make you get better from your sickness. I'm not here to make you have a bigger bank account or a newer car. I'm here for your soul. And if you want to understand what it is to be in the kingdom of God, then you've got to be born again of spirit. That literal phrase, uh, born again, that word again, English translators have tried to get the best word in there. And so in our, like, I'm reading from the New International Version, you can read other English Bibles, and a lot of them say born again. That's become like a nickname for Christians. Have you heard that? Like a born again Christian? Like it's, like it's like a brand of Christianity. I'm honestly not sure exactly which brand it is, but it's like a phrase we use. Uh, but born again, a more literal translation of the Greek that was there would be born, so that's the word that Nicodemus was hung up on, born from above or heavenly born heavenly is kind of what it means born from above it's like what jesus is saying here is like yeah you had a physical birth already flesh gives birth to flesh but spirit gives birth to spirit so you're going to need a renewal of your soul a renewal of your spiritual self you following what i'm saying he's really just saying there's these two there's a split between physical and spiritual and this kingdom is all about spiritual is there physical stuff involved absolutely we'll talk about that in a second but Jesus didn't come to lead our hands and our feet into greener pastures and more physical contentment. He came so that we could impact people's souls. Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? And the Apostle Paul says, this is the battle between walking in the spirit and walking in the flesh. And so if you miss that, you've missed Jesus. You've missed everything I've ever preached or I did it wrong. We've got to understand that this kingdom of God is about what's happening on our soul level. And so I want to just stop. I'm going to take a time out. And I just want to ask you this simple question. Why did you come here today? That's the question. Or like, why do you do church? 
or why, why would you call yourself a Christian if you do? Or, like, why? Why all this stuff? The longer I do this, like, speaking about Jesus stuff, the more I am reminded that we need to be reminded that this whole thing is about reuniting our soul to our creator. You follow me? Like, I do a lot of church stuff. I got pastor friends. We're building a building down the street. Like, there's all this stuff that's going on. And we get really hung up on the, you know, our volunteer schedule and setting up the stuff and, you know, having events in town. We did Serve Together Sunday last week. That was amazing. We had like 70 volunteers go serve with four different organizations and do some amazing things. We fed hungry people. We helped take care of foster families. We did some amazing things, but Jesus didn't come here so that the world would be nicer to each other. Yeah, that's a byproduct. He came here because our soul was ripped apart from his presence, and he wanted to bring us back in. There's a lot of debate in church about things like um, style of worship and, and things like that. And like, so I think about, you know, I grew up in a church that was pretty traditional, and then we're probably a pretty modern church, and like, I've wrestled sometimes walking into different worship scenarios and like having to get my mind wrapped around worshiping. Like, oh, I can't, I don't know this song, I don't like this style, that person doesn't sing very good, <laughs> whatever it is. And like, it's not about that. Shut up, Chris. Like, you are here to worship your creator. And he had the grace to come into your world and give you a path back to him. Like, that's what this is about. And so when Jesus is sitting with Nicodemus, this great and learned man, He's like, you got to be born again, man. You need to refresh and renew your mind. Your spirit has to be restarted. But there's a problem. Because on my own, I don't know the way. I, I don't know where. Someone point at their soul real quick. Like, just real quick. Just show me. Would you bring it with you? Yeah, you, it's with you. But where is it? And like, how do I reconnect it to God? Is there like an extension cord? I don't know the way. So what does it mean to be born again? <laughs> uh, I don't, I, I know, but it's, it's, so maybe it looks like this, okay? I, I was at a retreat a couple years ago with some buddies, um, some, and we were at this, like, um, conference and had hotel rooms, and something happened with my hotel room, I don't remember what, but I get to the counter, and the lady's like, your hotel room's messed up, and I'm like, okay, and she's like, but we're going to give you an upgrade. You ever get the upgrade? Oh, it's like, ooh, royalty. I'm not trying to brag anybody, but I got the upgrade, you know. And so, and she said, You're, we're going to put you on the executive level. I'm like, well, of course, that's where I should go, right? And so, uh, she's like, you're going to need this card. And so, this is the thing about the executive level. Like, you can't get to the executive level without the little key thingy, you know, the boop. And so, like, you go in the elevator, there's not even a buck, button for the, I think, 20th floor or whatever. There wasn't even a button. No, you just had to have the card. Boop. Like, you can't get there unless you got the card. And you get up there, man, they got, like, their own, like, special, like, sauna place and there's like free drinks and the, the they didn't have robes they actually had real live alpacas that you would just cuddle with and um, uh, not really but so so I get up there it's like dang this is nice there's like snacks in my room like I did not pay for this and so, um, so I go back downstairs and tell my, my buddies I'm like man I got the executive suite like it is so cool like you want to come see it you want to come see it? I'm telling them about the alpaca and it's there and they were not impressed I think we went to like Buffalo Wild Wings or something, so they didn't care. Uh, but I was like, I could take you. I got the key card thingy. We could boop. We could get up in there. You don't even have the button. I get the boop. We get in there, and they're like, I don't want to go. Okay, they, they didn't care about my room. But here's the point: there was this awesome place. But the only way to get there is if you knew someone who knew how to get there. 
And the only way to get there is if you had the key card thingy. So you could boop the elevator and get up there. And I know that's silly, but the kingdom of God works a lot like that. You have to have access. You have to know someone who's already been above. And so Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, you got to be born from above. But I got good news for you. That's where I came from. I am from above. I got a key card thingy. And I'd love to meet, you know, show you the alpaca. Um, and I could get you in, Nicodemus, but not quite yet. First, you need to be born from above. First, you need to be born again. First, we need to refresh your brain. We need to help you understand the kingdom that we're talking about. Back to our story, verse 9, John 3, verse 9. Nicodemus says, how can this be? And Jesus takes a little jab at him, which I appreciate. Well, you are Israel's teacher, Jesus said. <laughs> I mean, remember who Nicodemus is? Very few people more well-respected about understanding God than Nicodemus. You're Israel's teacher, and you don't understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we've seen, but still you people don't accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you don't believe. Now, how then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Back to that dichotomy. There's things of this earth, there's things of heaven, and yet, you know what? I've done a lot of earth stuff. You, you saw the guy that was healed. You heard me speak, you know, impressive words. You see how people trust me. I've shown you some physical stuff, but you don't understand that. How do you expect to understand the spiritual things? And Jesus gets right to the heart of what many of us battle with in life. I mean, a lot of us are Nicodemus sitting across the table from Jesus, and we just want him to answer all of our hard questions. Jesus, how dare you let bad things happen to good people? I don't understand. How can this be, teacher? Or God, you know... It would be great if you would make yourself real to me, like show yourself to me. I'd appreciate that. Speak directly into my ear holes so I can know. We might talk trash about God when we get frustrated or confused. Um, we and look, that's not, that's just me. These are things I've done. <laughs> I wrestle, I've wrestled with God's presence in my life, but Jesus speaks to that here, to Nicodemus and in other places, and to us, he says, I did all that. I came to earth, I intervened, I met with famous people, and I talked in public, and I did miracles so that hundreds and thousands of people saw it. I brought people back from the dead. I healed people who had been crippled and diseased. I cured people with incurable diseases. I made blind people see. But I didn't come for your amusement, and I didn't come for your approval, and I didn't come for your comfort. The only reason I did these things is so that you would know that I also have the power to heal your soul. And that's why there's such a track record left behind Jesus of the things he did and said. So that we can know, so that we can believe. And, and, and belief takes a minute, doesn't it? But we've got to understand what he's here for. He's here to reconnect us with God. Because he's God in the flesh who came to earth to show us the way. Because he has the key card thingy. So, so how do I be born from above? What does that look like? Well, Jesus says, I'm glad you asked. I've been there, and I know a little something about it. And it, so it's right after this conversation with Nicodemus that John, the author of the Gospel of John, writes down what I think is this, the line, the sentence, the quote. This passage that is the one that if you look in all the annals of history, 
this is the one that would stand out the most and define who Jesus was and what he did. And you might have heard it. It's John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, and that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Are we talking about physical life? By now, I hope you know the answer is no. We're talking about an everlasting spiritual life that begins now, but lives on into eternity with the Creator. And people memorize John 3.16, and they write it on poster boards, and they take it to football games and basketball games, and Tim Tebow gets it right here when he was, back when he was playing football. We get 3.16, we got it, right? A great passage. But I also think that the one right after it, which is not as well known, might be even more beautiful, at least to me, a broken person. Verse 17 says, for God, he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You know my favorite thing about God? I mean, can you pick? It's like, which, which one, is, who's your favorite kid? You know, who's your favorite child? What's your favorite thing about your wife? Like, you know, it's a hard question, but my favorite thing about God, I think, is that he loves me. And that he loves you. He's not here to beat you up. God doesn't send people to hell. That's a phrase that we're guilty of using. God's not like, hey, I can't wait to just send people to hell. I mean, yes, there's, a, there's judgment and there's all kinds of things, and I'm not going to pretend like we understand all that. But he said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. Being separated from God is a choice we make. If he had it his way, we would be with him. But we choose to push him away sometimes. Never forget, God loves you. And he had the time to sit down with this old Jewish politician and explain that. This is a really short story, but I got a feeling they talked for a while. And he's got the time to sit with you and talk through what you're going through. And he loved the world so much that he lowered himself from the status as God. Read Philippians chapter 2. It's a beautiful chapter. That's your assignment this week, maybe. And it says that he, he didn't consider equality with God something that he should hold on to, but he made himself nothing. And he took the nature of a servant. And he was obedient even to the point of death. That's our king and his kingdom. God loves us. And Nicodemus had some tough choices to make. I mean, does he decide to follow Jesus? And he's, been, he's, he's worked his way up um, in the Jewish faith. And, and by the way, did you know that a lot of people, that the first Christians were all Jewish, and they didn't quit being Jewish? I throw that in there. They're still Jewish. Like, they still have the whole history and the whole heritage, but they also accepted the message of who Jesus was. But is he going to follow Jesus? Does the great teacher now become a disciple of the rabbi Jesus? You should read it. It's, it's, it's in there. I'm not going to tell you. Um, well, we can pick between. We can learn more about Nicodemus. But today, this isn't about Nicodemus. This is about you. And so I just want to ask you to picture yourself humbly going to God at night, you're not picking a fight with him, you're not trying to win a debate, you're not trying to grandstand on social media. It's just you and your creator. Say, what does it look like for me to be in your kingdom? You know what you'll say? Well, you can't see the kingdom unless you're born again. 
how are we born again? I think it's fitting that Jesus uses the imagery of wind and water here. All throughout the Bible, when, he, when we talk about God's spirit, one of the images, images we use is wind and water because how do you describe something spiritual? So wind and water, though, they're really cool because they're very, very powerful, but they're also very graceful and gentle. And you've got this thing about wind, like a, a, you know, a hurricane and, and, and waves can just destroy a beach, or you can like use the waves and the wind, and you can ride a sailboat you know, to the Bahamas. Like, same forces. And so this is a pretty cool picture. And I, I want to say, you know, you hear about being born again of water and as Modern day Christians, your brain immediately might go to Christian baptism. I think there's definitely connection there. I do not think Jesus was telling Nicodemus to be baptized as a Christian uh, because no one was doing that yet. That's not till Acts chapter 2. There were baptisms happening, but I do think that it's very easy for us to make the connection to Christian baptism because we also read that in Christian baptism, we come into contact with God's Holy Spirit and His forgiveness and the renewed mind. I didn't know which passage to point to because I think the Bible should teach us about the Bible. So I wanted to find the place that teaches us about this. And one place that really sticks out is Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And I actually quote this quite often at communion time, but let me read this to you. This is the Apostle Paul talking. He says, what should we say then? Should we go on sinning so that grace may increase? What do you all think? By no means, he says. Listen to this. We are those who died to sin. So how can we go on living in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? I want you to notice the two uses of the word death and die right there. And so we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death again in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead again through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. To be born again means that we have to die to our old self. And when we give our life to Jesus, that's what we're committing to. I'm not going to be ruled by the flesh. I'm going to be ruled by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to satisfy the desires of my flesh. I'm going to do everything I can to point at nurturing my spirit. What do we do with the flesh? Well, we serve the world. We go to serve together Sunday and we do things on Sunday mornings and we love each other and we eat good food and we exercise because we want to live longer. Why? So that we can take that message to other people's souls. That's being born again. And when we're raised to walk in that newness of life where Colossians chapter 3 says that we should set our minds on things above, set our hearts on things above in the heavenly realms. That's the born again process. And it happens in a couple ways. It happens initially. When you make the decision, I'm in. We see every person who decides to follow Jesus in Scripture, like, they go to the waters of baptism. And I think there's a good reason for that. We physically need some reminders. So getting a little bit wet and chilly is probably a good way to do that. But we stand in front of other people and we do that. It's a confession. It's a profession of what's happening. And then God, I don't know what happens behind the curtain spiritually. But I do know this. We're promised contact with his Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of our sins. You can read that in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Repent and be baptized. You receive the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for all generations. That's the first thing. That's the born again. But like we got a couple baby Fletcher's back there in a little baby carriage thing. And like, yeah, he's born. Good job. You were born. But like that's not what he's destined for to lay back there. And I mean, wouldn't we love to all have our diapers changed and be fed through a bottle for a whole life? That sounds miserable. I don't want to do that. 
We're born so we can live. Walk in newness of life. So we begin our journey. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes shall not perish but have eternal life that begins now. And so what do we do? Well, we interact with other people. We share the kingdom of heaven with them. It's called, we call it here ta- taking pockets of heaven with us everywhere that we go. Pockets of heaven. And how you treat people, how you respond to conflict, how you choose to invest your time and your money, the words that come out of your mouth, the language that you use, the way that you reconcile when there's, you know, damaged relationship, how you manage uh, a busy day and stress, how you share your possessions with others and your talents with others. All of that's kingdom of God stuff. Totally manifest in the physical world. And it takes practice. Um... I wrestled today with what our challenge for today could be. I do a challenge every week, and I don't have an official one, but I think if there's a word I could give you, it would be practice. Practice. I mean, the first step might be, I need to be born again to start with. (laughs) I need to understand my relationship with God, and I need to make a a submission to him, and then practice. And you'll get better and better and better, and meanwhile, you've got the keys to the kingdom. Boop. And you can bring other people up with you. And that's God's kingdom. God's people live in God's way. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Let's pray.